Thoth's Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to a new episode, episode 11 of season 8 of the Thoth Hermes podcast. Today is May the 8th, 2022, and my name is Rudolf. I am your host and the creator of this podcast. And I have to say it right at the beginning, if you haven't yet gone to Kai Kobad Radio, the other product that I just launched about 10 days ago, well, do so now. I can try to spell Kaikobad to you here. It's K-E-I-K-O-B-A-D. But it's easier that you go to the Thoughts Hermes podcast and you find the link right there on the top of the Thoughts Hermes podcast website, T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com, and you will find it. And I promise there will be better publicity, better links coming in the next few days and weeks. For the radio, of course, I mean. Okay, today here on this episode, my guest is a very special guest. It's Ron Clark. Ron, who is a bit shy about interviews in general, and I was very happy that he accepted to come on the show. He who has, in the English-speaking world, but not only there, made the name of Franz Barden very much more popular than it used to be before he came. Right, so we will have a lovely talk with him in a few moments. Um, I would like to welcome all of you here on this show. Those of you who are new to this show, welcome. Go and discover the website I just mentioned, thoughthermes.com, because not only will find show notes for this very show, but of course, for all the about 125 episodes back and everyone can find the, the links there to the author's pages, to uh, other information regarding the subject we're treating, to the music that we play. And um, it would be great if you did that. And while you're there, why not leave me also some voicemail? Because you can leave a voicemail on the web page, on the homepage. Or, of course, there's a contact form. You send me a message and... Uh, just lately, I had a few very interesting feedback messages from guys that are listening out there and who made some suggestions for guests for the show. And I cannot always take them in, but um, I do uh, regularly. And there will be some of the suggestions will bear fruit in the near future. That's really great that you're doing that. Also, I need again your music i need your music both for here and for the radio station both for todd hermes podcast and kaikobad radio so do send me your music if it's your genuine music if it's you who has written it or performed it uh, or both and um, that would be great to be able to play you on the show like i did many many times before now it's your turn so and talking about your turn it should be a good turn of you to go to the Patreon website and look for Thoughts Hermes Podcast, become a patron like 
some others have already done and thanks to everyone who is supporting the show also not only by listening which is great but also by your financial contributions because we need that we need that to expand we need to maintain even uh, this show and uh, it's a great contribution that you give us here so keep going and well those of you who have not yet done you know it's those people who pay that make it possible that you all listen so it would be nice to be a bit more show a bit more solidarity and be a few more of you who become patrons patreon.com thoughts hermes podcast or on the website of the thoughts hermes podcast there is the patreon button go there and use it thank you okay so um i think it's now time for some music this time again the music is rather eclectic i would say um i got it from different places and the first is by an artist called Lars, I would pronounce him Love, by the first name. I guess he's from the north of Europe, Lars, sounds like that. But I'm not sure if it's Lars Lowe, L-O-W-E, or Lars Love. I find him in my researches on different channels where you can get interesting and uh, copyright free music. So, uh, And it was also not only the music that I liked, it was also the title, which is a perfect fit for what is to come in the interview later on. So the concept of you and I is the title of that song that we are going to hear now. And so let's go and do that. Let's listen to Lars Lowe and the concept of you and I. Will we 
concept of you and I by Lars Lowe, which opened our musical trio of this episode and uh, a little eclectic one once again this week on episode 11 of season 8, where we welcome the great Ron Clark. Ron, I can't even tell if it was the website, which I believe it was first, or the book, but both were called A Barden Companion. Uh, I am sure that many, many of you out there are aware of Franz Barden, of that uh, famous hermeticist, occultist, who lived in what was then Czechoslovakia between the wars. Um, uh, he was most active and he created that whole Bardonian system of initiation, a solid, mostly solitary initiation system. You will hear all about that uh, when we discuss that with Ron. And, um, well, by what happened immediately during the war and afterwards, and of course, because first it was uh, Nazi Germany who oppressed him and all those free-thinking uh, subjects, and then it was the communist system who also did not allow that in the meantime, when Barden had also died, um, his work was published and it, it was complicated and most of it was written in Czech language. So um, it took some time and Ron was really instrumental in bringing it uh, out into the world with his abardencompanion.com website. And um, that website was so important and grew to something really big that it was when he decided a few years ago it was now enough. Um, he had given to the world what we had to give in that respect. He um, The uh, website was copied by a German guy, thanks to him. And of course, Ron is fully aware of that um, and agrees to that. Um, that website is now called abardencompanion.de, but it's still mostly in English. It's just because it's hosted in Germany and it needed to make a distinction between what was there before. It's the old version, but still the main material is there. It's really great. You'll find the link also in the show notes. Um, Franz Barden has, of course, and I'm mentioning this here in this intro to the interview, um, has, of course, had also many people who came in his system after him and maybe uh, one of the most important of those is Emil Steinar. Emil Steinar, who is now more than 80 years old. He lives here in Vienna and I I know him personally, of course, and I uh, speak to him very regularly on the phone. I've often tried to talk him into an interview, but A, he doesn't speak English and B, he um, is a bit shy about that, even shyer than Ron, who yeah, he said very spontaneously yes when I asked him, which makes me happy. But Emil Steiner, he has written about a dozen books um, based on the Bardonian system and developing it further into his own versions. And many, many of you have asked me, um, do those books by Emil Steiner also exist in English? And I always had to say no. And, well, I can tell you that some of them now, about half of them, have already been translated and published, are published now, in English language. So Emil Steiner's books are out there in English language now. And the rest will follow. He's very keen to have that done very, very quickly. 
So um, I will, of course, post a special post on the show notes page for those books by Emil Steiner, because so many of you have over the years um, asked me about that. It's not the first time that we talk about Franz Barton here on the show, of course. It was in my talk with Martin Fox. Uh, that was a point. Also, others who appear on this show have talked about him. Um, so, Barton is really an important figure. And um, now with Ron, we are going to go in-depth into that question. This episode is named um, Work Thyself. A bit, uh, uh, you will hear it in the show. It came up, that term. Because everybody talks about know thyself, yes, but you have to do the work. So work thyself in order to advance in the occult art. That's what we learn from not only Franz Barton, but also from him and especially from Ron, who tells us very, very clearly that that has to be the path. Right. Um, I think we just go there and now talk to uh, talk to my friend Ron Clark because... It is It is really um, for him that we do this episode. You're all waiting for that. It's quite extraordinary that we have him on the show, and I'm very happy about that. Um, let's go to Northern California, where he resides, and meet Ron Clark. And I will come back in about 32, 33 minutes with some music. For the moment, enjoy. Here comes the interview. Well, um, a few days ago, I went onto uh, the internet and I was looking up new books and I saw to my biggest pleasure that on April 17, uh, a new book was published by somebody I really like, by Ron Clark. Uh, Ron Clark published that new book, uh, which um, is called Book of Aries, I believe. And yes. I said, hmm, Ron Clark, I have to contact him. People always tell me he doesn't like to give interviews, but I just give it a try. And well, well, what happened 20 minutes later, we had this interview fixed. And Ron, it's an enormous pleasure. And no, I know not only for me, but for many, many people out there to welcome you here today on the Thoughts Hermes podcast. <laughs> welcome, Ron. It's great. To <laughs> thank have you. you very much. It's an honor to be here. I well, thank you. Um, no, it's great because, of course, um, um, the ABC, as it was called among, yeah. among the ones who knew a Barden companion that was the website in English language about Franz Barden and his work and about uh, all around him. And um, you, Ron, were the creator of that. You were the I don't know if you would see it like that, but I see it in a way that you were the promoter of Franz Barden's work in the English language at some point. Is it, would you see it like that as well? Well, it, it sort of evolved that way. It wasn't my plan, um, mm -hmm. but it turned out I was the one making most of the sales for Merker Books. Uh, when they published Initiation into Hermetics, you know, it sort of right. just blew me away. It was. You know, I, I'm just doing this stuff. I'm not, uh, you know, planning to be famous or <laughs> it just yeah. it kind of freaks me out, actually. 
<laughs> okay, <laughs> but but um, well, I I know the feeling, but I think I think you you really. You really did that. And I may say that uh, even though the website, the Barton Covenant, doesn't exist anymore, right. unfortunately, yeah. uh -huh. but some guy in Germany made a copy, an online copy of it, which is now available under abartoncompanion.de. So it's an older version, I think, right? Yeah, it's the 2015 or 14 version, mm -hmm. something like that. My, late, my latest version before I closed the site was much more advanced in terms of yes. a website, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Learned. That's... But still, it's 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 important that it's still there, and we are yeah. all happy it is because the, because the content the, is basically the same. You know, I've always just published everything on the website. So. Right, and it's a great resource for everything Good. around Franz Barton in English. No, it's not only English, actually, not only English. Yeah, yeah. Would, well. Uh, now, of course, the obvious question, the first question I wouldn't want to need to ask you, uh, Ron, um, what brought you to Franz Bardon in the first place? How did you come to his work and what did it mean to you in the first place? It's a common story, you know, uh, of just happening onto the book. You know, I hear this tale all the time from people. Um, they just happen upon the book. Um, I had been doing just huge amounts of study um, on uh, occultism. And I came across the words Kabbalah and hermetics. And, you know, little lights went on in my head. Um, so I started to pursue them. And read a lot of Golden Dawn stuff, you know, the usual dreck, <laughs> the usual uh, crap. Um, and, uh, you know, just opened myself to whatever I could find. And I was house cleaning at the time. And in the library of the house that I was cleaning were two books, Crowley's uh, Magic and Theory and Practice, and Franz Barden's initiation in Hermetics. And I asked okay. the house owner if I could borrow them and read them both. And I took them home with me. And first one I read was Alistair Crowley's Magic and Theory and Practice. Well, I say read, but I didn't get very far. As it just made me sick. It just made me sick. <laughs> the amount of ego, um, yeah. that Victorian sort of way of writing, and um, it was just felt silly. And I didn't learn anything about magic from that book. So I put it down and picked up Initiation Hermetics, and yeah, I've been reading it since. And that was, oh, God, almost 40 years ago now. Yeah, Almost 40 years. So you were in your early <laughs> 20s then, right? Yeah, yeah, it was my early 20s. Yeah. Um, and, you know, within just a few months, I had my own copy of the Rugeberg edition, which it, those days wasn't all that rare. You know, it was the only mm -hmm. English edition. Um, yeah. And that's how it began. And what I found immediately in reading initiation hermetics it was like the first chapter was like oh my god thank you <laughs> there was something yeah, yeah. that was going to take me where i wanted to go 
you know, not just fill me with a whole lot of dogma. Yeah. Uh, it didn't tell me how to think. It said, here's the way you can figure it out for yourself. And right. You know, I right. was sold. That that's <clears throat> certainly one of the of the major features of Barton's writings, in my sense, that he just gives you the stuff and lets you do it basically and doesn't prescribe yeah. the color of it, your wand, so to speak. Right. At the right. same time though, it's It's designed in such a way that it takes you through really predictable stages of development. Uh, you know, it's sort of inevitable outcomes um, that aren't apparent necessarily from just the initial reading. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's yeah. very clever. Very clever. Yeah. So we uh, here on this on this podcast, of course, there are many people around to who know their way around uh, occultism and stuff. Uh -huh. But still, I think we will need to talk about more in detail about Barden and his concept and the way he approaches things. So you are certainly the person to do that. But <laughs> okay. before we go there, uh, before we go there, Ron, um, let's talk a little bit more about yourself, if I may. Um, okay. So you said early 20s, you discovered those books. But by a genuine interest in in that world of the occult and hermeticism and so so how how did that appear when did that appear and how uh, did it just come out of the blue or 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 did you have personal experiences or it's, it's sort of like as far back as i can remember the, my earliest remembers remember bleh, my earliest memories are of being in the woods and you know just this magical place this is maybe when i was four something like that mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so i've always had this sense of uh, the world being alive and magical um and that just developed all through my life you know and did your uh, parents think you were a weird child or did they support <laughs> well, that they did, or? but that was cool you know? <laughs> <laughs> this was the 60s you know so of course yeah um uh, yeah I they, did, you know, we, we are certainly encouraged me they were agnostic atheists unitarians if that means yeah. anything. Um, mm -hmm. um, so they were very open and uh, eventually um, they joined uh, the Self-Realization Fellowship, Paramahansa right. Yogananda. It's mm. amazing, a lot of us Bardenists have history with uh, the Self-Realization Fellowship as well. Absolutely interesting, uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And um, so at that time, you lived in California also? Yeah. Yeah. I've lived in yeah. California my whole. Well, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Really? My yes. Thankfully, my parents left when I was, I can't remember anything of Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> we came to California. So I was saved. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. when you when you went to the city library or whatever, would you find um, books about the occult, about esotericism at that time? No, no, I never. As a child, I never read anything. Well, okay. I read Carlos Castaneda. You know, there, yeah. so there was yeah. yeah, sort of the '60s version of occultism. Um, uh, but no, I never 
read anything. It wasn't until uh, my 20s that I really started consuming books, you know, just consuming them. Um, right, straight. Well, I must admit here for the first time ever that I have a soft spot for Castaneda's books because yeah. it was through them that I entered a bit into that world of ah, yeah. Well, later on, entry, you see yeah. them more, more, more skeptical, maybe. Let's go back to Franz Barden then. At the time in the 60s, um, How was it in America? Uh, I mean, I, I can't really speak about my my country here because I had no idea about him at the time at all. But when you discovered him, was that common esoteric literature or was that uh, very rare at the time? Well, this was in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, and no, it was very rare. There was right. nobody was, you know interested in, in Franz Barden, there was one fellow who put out a newsletter out of somewhere in Colorado um, that I connected with uh, a couple years later, um, but that was it, you know, there was absolutely no, but this was before the internet, you know, that made all the difference, you know, that's what enabled all of my work is the internet, you know. Of course. And I also believe his personal story, of course, especially in my part of the world, which is very close to where he comes from, um, uh -huh. the history of, uh, well, the, the Second World War and fascist Germany and then with communists, uh, uh, Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia. Of course, yeah. this was not at all, not at all the, the field where something like that would be able to grow. Right. Yeah. It still right. maintained itself in Czech, in the Czech Republic, you know, there's a did, very yes. strong uh, Bardenist community there. Absolutely. So tell those who don't know much about Barden a bit more. What is, what is so particular about Franz Barden that you, that spoke to you and that nowadays speaks to so many of us? Well, I think it's his his plain speaking. Um, there's there's no flowery language. Um, he gets right down to basic exercises that you can do to develop yourself, and it follows this sequence of ten steps, you know, um, that are progressive. Uh, so it's, it's like a college course in initiation and it is self-initiation. That's what really turned me on. You know, I'd been through an occult group and, uh, <laughs> there was just too many personalities and it ended up being about the personalities involved and not about the actual magical working or evocation, I mean, uh, education. Um, so uh, I found in Barden this, you know, laid out in front of me from the outset, this path of uh, exercises that I could accomplish, you know, and it all sounded so believable, like it was really his own genuine experience. And so when I started doing the exercises, it started working. 
you know, I got immediate results. What um, were those results in the beginning? So when you started with it, what did you feel? Oh, the main benefit that I gained was this transformation of my personality. Um, I really blossomed as an individual through this work. Uh, going into it, I was... I was sort of nowhere to be found. You know, I was sort of like a not there, but I was there. You know, um, I always felt a secondary. You know, I would sort of stand back. Other people would do things. You know, I wasn't really truly engaged in, in my life. And uh, through this work, I became engaged. You know, I became okay. who I am. Let's put it that way. You became rooted um, and, and, and... Uh, yes, that, yeah. exactly. Um, there's... This uh, sort of metaphor that I learned fairly early on, uh, having to do with the personality. You know, we are a ship in the middle of a vast ocean, buffeted by waves. And so, you know, and the personality has no rooting. It, you know, goes up and down and up and down and side to side. And it's just really battered around. But the idea of the personality transformation is you become anchored and stable and you know centrally focused not buffeted by the waves the waves still happen but you don't have to follow those waves up and down right and that's what i got from the initial work but there's also the work with the elements you know my first course, contact yeah. with the elements was fairly early on um, and that was like, whoa, this shit is real. <laughs> and the vital energy, you know, all these early things were um, very important. When you look at that, that's one of the two things that struck me the most with Barton in the beginning, that when you start talking about the elements, he, he uses a slightly different... Um, structure let's put it that way than the classical hermetism right and the, the the attribution of the of the four elements is slightly different why in your sense is that and what does it change in regards to the old classical uh, neoplatonic hermeticism um I'll have to expose my ignorance here. I'm not a scholar. <laughs> I really don't know that much about classical Neoplatonism and the, uh, the, how that philosophy of the elements differs from what Barden presents. Yeah, well, tell it, us about Barden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, what Barden describes, well, first of all, Uh, Barden uses words very specifically. It's kind of hard to tell in the English translation, mm -hmm. but he talks about 
um, the element, the principle of the elements, and then the elements themselves. Yes. Um, so there's sort of two sets of correspondences here. Um, the elemental principle, uh, a fire being, you know, very radiant, very um, aggressive, very active, water being very calm, very magnetic, uh, you know, it draws in, it creates forms, etc. The elements as he describes them are, he gives just enough description so that you can connect with the element through the method that he describes. You know, using the creative visualization, you use the creative imagination to create these sensations, these visualizations, and um, you do that enough with the intention, the will behind it, you do connect with the factual elements. It's sort of unavoidable. You will eventually connect. So that gives you a whole new perspective on the elements because it's not exactly as he described it. You know, it's more than he described it. And you find that throughout Barden's writings that the actual experience is more than the description. And that's kind of the magic of... But he takes that... He then assumes in the next step that you will have learned that it is more. And so he works on that assumption. So if you haven't, then you just don't get anywhere. And you really don't understand what he is saying fully. Um, if you haven't done the exercises and, and completed them successfully. Yes. Um, what, what you just mentioned, magnetism, I mean, that's one, I think, of the main differences uh, to other forms of hermetism, this distinction between electricity and magnetism uh-huh. within the description of the four elements. So maybe yeah, you yeah. can explain a bit on that, how he uses that, Barton himself, because I think that will be important to our listeners to know and understand. Well, there, there are two opposite forces essentially but they are conjoined you can't have electric without magnetic you can have magnetic without electric and this is simple physics so it takes a, it borrows a lot from physics in that sense um and it, in Bartonism, we we have the two fluids you know the electric fluid and the magnetic fluid and this is really uh, what is behind the fire and the water. Mm -hmm. The fluids create the elements, and it's because of the fluids that we find the electric in the fire and the magnetic in the water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of this just seems so self-obvious to me. Because it's sort of what I've grown up in, you know. Um, of course, of course. That the electric fluid is electric. Hey, you know. Yeah. yeah <laughs> magnetic yeah. fluid, magnetic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's on all these different levels, too. You know, you start to relate to this through the Kabbalistic tree of life, and it becomes much more complex. 
you yeah. know, I'm trying to define which pillar is electric and which magnetic and why. And, you know, you get these different conflicts with these different philosophies, different approaches to the tree of life. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, and um, well, th that was the next step I was going to come to. The, the tree of life is a very particular way of handling the tree of life uh, as opposed to others. As you say, everybody seems to have their own view on it. Yeah, 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 but yeah. he has a very particular and very structured view on the tree of life, hasn't he? Yeah, he doesn't really speak about the tree of life anywhere. You know, he sort of hints at it in uh, Key to the True Kabbalah, but he doesn't come outright and talk about the tree of life. You know, he kind of mentions a few sephirot here and there, but there's no structure to it, you know. Um, okay. And yeah. is it you who have to find the structure as a, as a tree, key to the true Kabbalah? Yes, yeah. definitely. Oh, the key to the to the true Kabbalah is so sketchy that you have to do the majority of the work yourself. You really do have to have completed completed step eight before you know you can really make any sense out of uh, KTQ. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. People really underestimate that book. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, because uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of, everybody talks about the initiation into hermetics, uh, but the other one is then often put aside and, 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 um, well, uh, it, it seems it, nowadays it, that's changed a lot because everybody just jumps immediately to, to uh, practice magical evocation or the key to the Kabbalah. You know, I hear about people practicing KTQ after only reading it just last week and, you know, and having never broken open the pages of initiation to hermetics or jumping right into evocation, you know. Can be a dangerous stuff, right? Well, not so much dangerous. It's really a waste of time. If you really sincerely, you know, want to advance yourself, yeah, you don't do these things, you know, you do the work, yeah. you know, that's yeah. the really yeah. hard lesson for this modern day and age is you, you just got to do the work. You know, most people yeah. are not willing to do the work. They want to read and become enlightened. And, you know. Yeah, exactly. Through reading. And that's a problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what's, strikes me maybe i'm generalizing here but you sometimes you have to a bit um when i speak to people who practice i mean who really practice barden and i know i know quite a few right oh, cool. um they all seem to be rather calm person like yourself rather calm personalities they seem very balanced in themselves and uh, would you say that's one of the key features when you practice his stuff that that brings you to that point yes the the whole focus of the first three to four steps of initiation in hermetics and we're talking a year of uh you know of work of constant you know head-on work at, the, at is, the minimum for the four steps right at the minimum you have a minimum for three yeah um yeah yeah that is all about the transformations of personality and reaching for the astral equilibrium of the elements 
which is balancing all these parts of the personality. I like to call it positivizing all the parts of the personality, taking the negative traits, finding what the, the positive root was, you know, where that negative trait was given birth back when you were a little child, usually, you know, what, what positive need were you trying to meet at that time and bring that positive root out in the trait and positivize the negative trait. And that has a very balancing effect. You know, it's, hmm. that's it's a no dice, the no dice self in, in his yeah. version, right? Yes. Yes. That is the, that's what initiation into hermetics is all about. Know thyself. And it's not just know your personality. It's know the whole of self. Because there's a whole lot more uh, to ourselves than our personal ego, you know. Um, and so initiation hermetics is the journey of really, really, sincerely getting to know yourself, every part of yourself. You just, well, we just mentioned um, uh, Castaneda in the beginning, and that reminds me in general of shamanism and serious shamanists often talk about those three levels, the, the, the underworld, the, and the other world, as opposed to the world that we live in. Right, uh -huh. And um, I sometimes have the feeling that Barton more than other hermeticists, if to, to generalize again, um, uses those He doesn't mention the three worlds, but he uses this natural experience, which can lead to three worlds, to the dark side in yourself, also to the brighter side than you are in the real life world um, and bring those three together into one personality. Am I fantasizing here or would you would you have similar well, experience with that? I put it in a different context. I don't do dark and light and these sort of symbols that, mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with darkness. You know, I, I mean, the no, nighttime sure, gets sure. a bad, you know, <laughs> exactly. um, it's, you know, we are just immense. Uh, the spectrum of existence that is covered by one single human being is immense. Um, and it includes all of these things. So it's about, to me, it's about knowing all those parts of self, you know, uh, identifying them, uh, understanding them, learning from them, and learning how to put them all together in a positive way. Um, That's what it's all about for me. I, in my latest book, I talk about clearing the channel between the I and the lower, you know, this physical here in the present moment of time, space, body. And that's what initiation is. It's making that connection between the very highest, you know, I put that in quotes, the highest um, level okay. of all awareness And this infinitely finite bit of awareness that we are. And that, you know, opens up the wholeness of self. And 
that to me is when uh, we're capable of true magical action, you know, when we're that integrated. Right. It's all about integration of self. Um, may I pick up one thing that you just uh -huh. said and ask you to deepen that a little bit? Uh -huh. um, what now within Barden and beyond or beside Barden, what is initiation? What for you, how would you define initiation? It's one of those words that just doesn't fit. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's why I mean, you know, maybe, you have a personal, <laughs> maybe you have a personal view on it, you know? Um, for me, it's It's know thyself. That is initiation, knowing myself, mm -hmm. discovering what self is, you know, and what my self is and how it all interrelates. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, the process of discovery. And for me, it's very structured, you know, and that's what I benefited from. Uh, with Barden, it's very structured, and that's, you know, my personality. I need that kind of structure. Um, mm -hmm. Structure is a word that comes often in your writings as well. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the yeah. impression that's something that's important yeah. to you, right? Yeah, well, it's like the tree of life to me is, right. it's the, the structure uh, that I see reflected in everything, so... Yeah, yeah. So when you say initiation, then does that mean once you started to know yourself, then it's so initiation is just a beginning as the Latin root of the word would say. And where does it lead? Yeah, see, it means we use it in a way that means more than just beginning. You know, yeah. I think originally exactly. when you're you're thinking about an initiation into a lodge, it's the beginning of your process with the lodge. So we've just sort of adopted that that word because But it's, it's, it's more than that, right? Yeah, yeah, it means yeah. More it's than the that. process. The whole journey is the initiation because hey, it's never ending. You know, we're always learning new things and new experiences that's the nature of life <laughs> absolutely lucky us aren't we lucky yeah for that? yeah otherwise yeah. it'd be yeah. kind of boring <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it's so lovely to talk to ron such a fresh air fresh uh, wind that uh, blows when you speak to him no really nice guy and uh, i hope you're enjoying just as much as i do Right, so um, as promised, there will be some more music now, eclectic music, I promise, today. And we have somebody who already was here on the show, I believe twice I played her music already, uh, Heather Dale, Heather, who does extraordinary, some kind of, um, well, folkish music at some point, but she also does those um, meditational music bits. And that's one of those that we're going to play here in the break of the interview so to relax a bit to think a bit about things so this song this meditation is called in principio in the beginning and i think also by the titles the choice of the music here today goes quite well with all that we speak about in this interview 
So upcoming next, it's Edredale with In Principio and Incantation, as she calls those those songs. Um, after Incantation number one, named In Principio, we will return to Northern California to Ron to continue to know why we have to work ourselves. And uh, after the interview, in the end, there is the third piece of music, and that is simply called Heart, and it's by an artist named Ackerman. Um, so this is the program that's coming up uh, in the next uh, altogether 45 minutes or so. And at the end of the third song, after Heart by Ackerman, I will come back and tell you what's coming up next week in the Thoughts Harmonies podcast. Right, so, but let's now go to listen to Heather Dale and In Principio, and after that, return to my friend Ron Clark. Enjoy.
let's go to the to those steps. We come back to your work and your books in a minute. But before we go there, um, I think we talk about 10 steps in general, right? When we speak about the Barton initiation yeah. uh-huh. system, structure, yeah. so to speak, right? Uh-huh. Um, and the impression that you get um, sometimes is that many people would say, and maybe you can explain your feelings why that is, it is extremely demanding, extremely difficult. And there seem many people who give up after step two or three, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, is yeah. that also the impression that you have? And um, well, why yeah. is that? And it's not uh, just the people, but there might be a reason for that, no? Yes, there is a reason for that. Number one reason is people misunderstand what Barden has to say in initiation into hermetics. They have all these preconceptions, you know, thanks to all the new age literature out there, they have preconceptions about what's expected with each exercise. Um, Like I had this fellow just the other day who wrote to me saying, Thanks for your video. I was stuck on step one for 10 years. You know, but step one should take a month. One month. That is the level. What would he get stuck at, for example? Well, the emptiness of mind is a big sticker for people Mm. um, because they think that in the step one, they have to master emptiness of mind uh, to the same degree as a Buddhist monk who's been doing it for 50 years. That's just, you know, because that's what they've convinced themselves. Or the focus of uh, the one-pointed focus, um, you know, they they expect the rest of the world to just disappear while they are focused on their their point of concentration. But that just doesn't happen. You know, the rest of the world goes on. You know, that horn honks in the distance. The point is you learn how to um, accept that and have it not interrupt your focus. It still goes on, okay, but it doesn't interrupt you. Um, That's a very interesting point. Thank you. So, yes. yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, developing the soul mirror. People get lost in that because it's a confrontation with the, you know, the most uncomfortable parts of self. You know, that uh, negative do, mirror. Do explain the soul mirror because I think not okay. everybody knows that concept here. Okay. The soul mirror in uh, Barden's nomenclature is... Um, this catalog, this list that you make of your negative and positive traits. And it's two lists that are both of equal importance. Most people fear the negative trait list and they have trouble being honest enough with themselves to really get a healthy, you know, list with a good number of traits. And then they fear the positive list even more but in a different way because you know we're taught oh you you can't brag about yourself you you know you you know you're supposed to be meek and mild and you know so we have just as much trouble 
delineating the positive aspects of our personalities, the negative aspects. So people get stuck there. And yeah, they go no further. Okay. So what we well, do also, with the also movement... Also poor breathing, poor breathing must be uh, also one of those things that holds people back, doesn't it? It does because they, again, haven't understood what's going on. You know, um, yeah. when you do exactly as Barden suggests and breathe, sucking in through the pores of your skin, you know, really sincerely visualize and imagine that this is happening. If you do that, you're sucking in the vital energy. Yeah. You know, it, that's, that's what happens when you pore breathe is what you're breathing in, what you're inhaling is vital energy. But they have a different conception of what it is. They don't, we don't approach things generally with an open mind. You know, we go into things with a set of assumptions. And those are what get in our way over and over in this path of initiation, especially. Okay. So you were saying that um, basically the, the difficulties that many experience with Barton's past are because they are trying to be too perfect in the first place. Is that, is yes. that would that summarize it correctly? Yes, that, that's a good way of putting it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we go into it with unreasonable expectations. Yeah. And, you know, really not reading the words that, that Barden wrote. Uh, you know, a lot of people read parts over and over. And then, you know, a couple of years later, read it again. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize he said that, you know, because I never saw that word in the book, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> is is his terminology you just mentioned terminology when we talk about the mirror for example uh -huh. is his terminology uh, very specific like on another level Rudolf Steiner for example so when you read Steiner you have to know certain words how they are employed in his terminology is that also true for Barden in a way yes yes it is I think it's true for every writer You know, I certainly mm. have developed this sort of Ronian vocabulary that, that makes sense when Ronian. I use it. <laughs> That's a nice one, the Ronian vocabulary. I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see what you mean. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's, a, it's, I get a feeling with Spartan, it is stronger than with others, isn't it? I guess. I don't know. Because, you know, I've encountered that in every sure. uh, thing that I've ever read, you know, try reading a Kabbalistic, ancient Kabbalistic document. Yeah, no, of course, know. of course, yeah. of course. No, of course, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. So, um, it's just, just a matter of getting used to the vocabulary that he uses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We were throwing out those names, initiation into hermetics here and the true Kabbalah, etc. Can you just maybe for those who are beginners in the Baronian world, uh, maybe mention the, this, the, the main works that we are talking about here? Okay. He, he has he, three main books that have been published that were written by him totally for certain. Uh, the first yeah. and foremost is initiation into hermetics with its 10 steps. 
Um, then came the practice of magical evocation, which is about, you know, performing evocations. Um, and that, um, according to what he wrote, is to be pursued only after one has completed step eight of initiation to hermetics. That's just a, a basic fundamental level of development that you need to, or in order to genuinely <laughs> perform an evocation. Now, evocation for him is primarily a um, process of mental wandering. Um, the evocation, what we call an evocation itself, is really sort of secondary. He teaches you the techniques, but it is all dependent upon you mentally wandering to the realm of the being you're trying to make contact with, making contact at a mental level and making an agreement with that being that they will, you know, evoke however you're evoking them. And he's talking so about 360, 360 levels. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now he yeah. talks about the uh, beings of the elements. Mm -hmm. He talks about the beings of the zone girdling the earth, the 360 exactly, degrees the of the zodiac. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yes. then the beings of the planetary spheres. So right. it's sort of okay. a hierarchy, starting with the elemental beings, then the zone girdling the earth, and then beyond, you know, from the yes. moon on up. Okay. Hmm. And that's, you know, infinitely expansive work, you know. Of course, um, it sounds like it, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, then his third book is called The Key to the True Kabbalah. And he spells mm -hmm. Kabbalah in this odd way, Q-U-A-B-B-L. Yeah, Kabbalah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which he does, I think, for a very specific reason, but um, mm -hmm. having to do with the associations with the letters. He has the qua, the, yeah, yeah. that sound in his letters. Um, mm -hmm. But this is unlike any Kabbalah anywhere else written down in the universe. Um, it's about Kabbalistic speech, uttering the letters Kabbalistically. And he doesn't specifically use the Hebrew letters. He does kind of, but he it's more he's using the Germanic letters um, okay. than the Hebrew letters, although... Mm -hmm. You know, they are closely related. Oh, um, so it's about sound a lot also. I believe, yes, right? it is. It's all about speaking the letters mm -hmm. and speaking mm -hmm. them individually and in combination. And that's yeah. very advanced work. And he says, again, you have to have completed step eight before even beginning to work with uh, his method of Kabbalah. Because there's a lot of... Um, a lot of using the creative imagination in there too, because it's more than just sound, it's it's color, it's sensation, it's meaning, you know, it's what he calls legality, it's meaning. Um, all of these things uh, are involved in Kabbalistic yeah. utterance. So it's 
what would you think? I mean, I know it is difficult to, to establish that, but uh, uh, somebody who took up the work, you said it's about one month for step one, but in order to get to step eight in a serious way so that you can start working with the two other books, how much time would that take a serious student in your sense? It varies so radically from person to person. Mm. Um, I would say at least five years. Right. I would say at least yeah, five that, years with someone who's fairly gifted. Yeah. You know, mm. and has. I, I was going to say that, that he must be quite good if he's going there in five years, probably. Yeah. Yeah. He or she. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, but it's. Once again, you said that earlier, but it is a solitary path, right? There are no it's bardonic group workings, right? Well, there are. There are. Yeah. There's all kinds of groups around that, that I don't know how they do it. <laughs> it's never made any sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but there are, you know, there's in, in Prague, there's a, mm -hmm. a group of Barton students who do regular work together and there are okay around the world um they a lot of them the groups that i'm aware of 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 people who get together and uh they include a lot in the barden work it's not just barden work that they're doing um but barden is part of it so to speak um okay but you know whatever path you're following you got to do the work yourself You know, it always yeah. comes down to what you're doing. You know, this is the sort of thing where you just sit at the foot of the guru and the guru, you know, gives you all this information and evolves you. Um, it doesn't work that way in hermetics. It doesn't really work that way anywhere because eventually, you know, as lifetimes go by, <laughs> you got to do the work yourself. So work yourself would that kind of be a motto if you work bardonic i would think so yeah and just do it <laughs> it's probably yeah yeah the, you know yeah. the big phrase yeah. and advertising yeah yeah um but when you say just do it that brings me of course to you now to you yourself what what made you create that great website resource what made you start doing more than just your own personal practice what was the motivation behind that um, did that come from the burden work or is that something exterior to it I think it came it came from the Barton work. Um, it really started back in nineteen ninety-two. I think ninety-two. Um, I was involved in a, a discussion group on AOL. You know, only us old wow. folk remember AOL. Oh, absolutely. And the, us, the us old folk. We, are, we are about the same age, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, um, that uh, veered off into hermetics as, as a, a subject. And um, I was inspired in that uh, conversation. It came up about the, the um, hermetic, I mean, the, the emerald tablet and the meaning of the emerald tablet and some ideas were offered that i thought were just 
bull. <laughs> they were just really wild out there kind of uh, garbage. And um, so I wrote a commentary in segments about the Emerald Tablet. That was sort of my first writing that I did. And it just blossomed from there. You know, being involved in conversations with people on uh, discussion groups. There was then mm-hmm. Yahoo groups and, you know, all this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, I did that for quite a few years. And that's where it all started, really, because, you know, writing answers to people and their their queries about uh, initiation to hermetics is how the first commentary came about. It was, you know, built from answers that I was um, giving online. Um, yeah. And you, you, uh, you then started also reading, uh, sorry, writing your your own books, right? You started. Yeah. What, what was the first? What was the first of those uh, books that on Barden that that you wrote? The, the, oh, the first first, first book that was ever published was a Barden Companion. You know, my that, initial yeah. okay. uh, commentary on initiation to hermetics. Uh, Practice of Magical Evocation, Key to the True Kabbalah. Um, what would you say does it add for the practitioner when he starts? What does it add to, to, the, to the Barton texts? Don't be shy. I know it does. Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I think the main thing that it added was a sense of camaraderie. You know, someone yeah. talking to you that has been through these exercises. Mm-hmm. That I think was the greatest value for people because you know I read it now and I think oh God, <laughs> my second commentary on initiation to hermetics was far better than that, just far okay. better. And then my, yeah, my third commentary, the the video uh, on the uh, uh, companions along the way. You know, it was even better. <laughs> well, so good. You developed better every <laughs> 10 years. You know, if I live another 10 years, there's probably going to be another one. Uh, dear. And you just you just uh, issued also the the 10th anniversary edition of the Eight Temples Meditation, right? Well, I did that on the 10th anniversary, which was right. Uh, well, whenever it was, well, it was. 2010 was the 10th anniversary 2012 was the 10th anniversary because the the eight temples was published at the same time almost the same time as the first edition of uh barden companion okay okay then 10 years later i did my second edition of both okay Uh-huh. So what is the Eight Temples Meditation Project? What is that? Okay, the Eight Temples is something I, I wrote quite a long time ago. Uh, I basically wrote it in 1997 and then performed it in 1998, throughout the first eight months of 1998. It was... I had been studying Kabbalah for, for, for years... And uh, some friends that I was in a group with, we were doing um, work around um, astral meeting um, and trying to work out techniques that uh, functioned reliably 
for what we were doing. Uh, there was uh, interest expressed in learning about Kabbalah, learning about the tree of life. And um, so I designed and performed a series of eight rituals um, every, uh, <clears throat> every full moon. Um, and these rituals were experiences of the eight, what I thought at that point of as the eight planetary sephirot of the tree of life. Now, Sephir, my, and Shokmah, right? Started, right. Yeah, um, yeah. My exposure to the tree of life at that point had been only the Western Hermetic one, the Golden Dawn version right. of the tree of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the Western Hermetic, the planets are assigned to the Sephiroth. Of course, in Hebrew Kabbalah, they're not. They don't have any association with the Absolutely, Sephiroth. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that then, so I mm -hmm. designed this experience of the planetary Sephiroth. So that they are experiences of the Sephiroth, but with a planetary... Uh, uh, bent, you know, they're influenced right. by the planets. Um, and so these rituals were attended by the original participants in the Eight Temples Meditation Project. They were about, oh, a dozen of us, I think, in the original okay. working. They attended them astramentally. In other words, they projected their awareness into using uh, the mechanism that I provided, the ritual uh, that I provided. They joined me in the working at that time right. and had these experiences, uh, sort of a guided meditation with little intervals of independent action. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, for each of the eight Sephiroth. Um, what I was able to do is preserve those moments of astromental times space <laughs> um, so that they could be revisited by other people in the future. So, so those original experiences can be revisited. And anybody following the uh, procedure that I lay out in the book can benefit from those original rituals. Um, is, is this and the other books of the same vein, are they only accessible mentally, I mean, uh, for people who have practiced pardon or for no, anybody no. seriously involved into that work? I designed it to be anybody with a rudimentary ability with creative imagination. That's all it takes, a little creative imagination. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone familiar a little bit with meditating wouldn't hurt, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, the sure. Ability yeah, to yeah. Use, you know, yeah. control the awareness, focus mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
It's nine books, I believe, that you have published so far, right? Eight. Eight, eight? books. Okay. Eight books, yeah. Okay. So tell us more about, not about the love letter. We talk about that a bit later, but okay. about the other ones. About okay. The other ones. Tell well, us a bit more about them. So Eight Temples was written in 1997 and formed in 98. Then uh, another book that I have is A Center of Stillness, meditation, healing, and self-knowledge, I think. Um, right. That is a combination of several things that I've written over the years, starting from about 1994 was when I really started writing things. And that contains um, a center of stillness meditation, which is a really basic meditation um, using your creative imagination to really isolate your awareness, isolate it from the seven senses that I uh, recognize in the uh, um, in this meditation. You know the usual five physical senses plus the emotional tone. I consider that a sense. Basically, it's a sensory organ uh, okay. as we navigate the world and uh, the mind chatter. You know, which narrates everything constantly um, that I include as a sense, because it really is part of our sensory apparatus that we use to integrate into the world. So this meditation about isolating your awareness from all of that noise and just being in that center of stillness. Um, then in there, there is the. Uh, my self Ron's self healing archaeus, yes, which is a very alchemical mm. process that has to do with the self. <laughs> know thyself again. Um, it is about integrating into the physical body, integrating into the astral body, and integrating into the mental body, and then a process of separating these bodies from the physical shell, letting them rest and reintegrating them. So it's about solve et coagula, you know, open it all up, blow it all apart, and then put it back together. And it's a very practical way. Yes, 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 yes. And this really is about knowing yourself and experiencing all the aspects of self. You know, using that structure, <laughs> that structure that's uh, in, inherent in Barden, inherent in the tree of life, etc. Then there is uh, the magic of Yodhe Vavhe Adonai, and yes. this this is a very uh, mystical sort of work. Um, centered around a, a, a Hebrew canticle, uh, which you say and to a, a specific tune um, and you perform certain energy work while you're doing it. And if you do all this correctly and open up the connections between different aspects of yourself, uh, a specific kind of light is generated. Um, mm -hmm. A specific kind of light that only human beings can generate, which I call the Adonai light the uh, rainbow-hued Adonai light. And then you learn to do various uh, magical things with that um, Adonai light. 
And then let's see what else is in there. I think we have the 231 gates of initiation, right? Oh, to, yeah. Well, there, that comes later, really. Um, okay. That's a different book. Um, there's Permutations two, of the Tree. From my two books on Kabbalah. Uh, the 231 gates of initiation came about ooh, throughout the 90s. It wasn't until about 1998 that that was fully, finally formalized. Um, and th that enumerates 231 combinations of Sephirot that exist within the tree of the Western Hermetic, or the, as I call it, the Hebrew tree of life. Um, because it uses the truly Hebrew attributions of paths. Um, uh, 231 different forms made by the, the tree of life following specific sort of rules um, that when you explore them astromentally, you know, using your creative imagination, um, they make changes within you. Um, it is sort of like Kriya Yoga in that sense, you know. You are doing these things that transform you just by doing them. Uh, you know, with the aim of fully integrating the, the, the self, uh, following the structure of the tree of life. Um, yes. And then permutations of the tree is the same thing but with the Graw tree, which is an entirely different approach to the tree of life. Okay. Um, which is it's the tree that I use exclusively now. Yeah. Um, so Kabbalah for far. you is really yes. the center Kabbalah. of your work nowadays, right? Yeah, it always has been. It's been, you know, mm. developed along the same timeline as um, hermetics you know and also that also that latest book i believe the, the book of aries is yeah. very much about that subject right yes uh, the yeah. path of brilliance is of course a very cabalistic yes. Yes. way it's all cabalistic <laughs> yeah, yeah everything that's the one that brought us together me, here, that, that <laughs> yeah 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 But I have to, well, a book that is also, when you then open it, um, talks, of course, about Kabbalah. But um, the book that I wanted to put last is this, I think it was published three years ago, which is called uh, Love Letter to a Dying World, A Handbook uh -huh. for Humanity. A wonderful and beautiful title, uh, which <laughs> yeah. sounds which sounds rather pessimistic as a title, but then when you start reading uh, the book, it's everything else than pessimistic, right? Yeah. yeah. So what what inspired you to that? Pessimism. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you pessimistic about the world? Well. Essentially, but it's it's not really pessimism, you know. It's it's acceptance, above all, that you know we're sort of at the end of things here, folks. You know, we don't have any chances left. We've we have essentially killed uh, killed the livability of our planet. You know, the, this. This generation 
is the last generation, as far as I can see. You know, the last generation to have any sort of ease of existence. Mm. You know, the day is coming real quick when we're not going to be able to go to the supermarket. You know, we can't turn on our faucet to get water. You know, that's that right. coming on really quick. We don't, won't have air to breathe. You know, it would be too hot. So mm -hmm. I see what we have done to the earth, you know, what we've done to ourselves. And it, it's such a pity. And that's where, you know, it comes from in my heart, this sort of sadness that we have done this to ourselves when it would be so, so easy to turn around in an instant, you know? It really just takes a tiny little shift in our awareness. But at a global level, that's the thing, you know, at such a level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But in a way, it's, it's only, as you said, with the work yourself, Mocho, it's only possible if everybody does it on his or her own level. And only then it will succeed on the global level, isn't it? In theory. <laughs> yeah, in theory, yeah. of course. You know, who What knows? I'm saying is, it's impossible to say, well, now I, Rudolf, or I, Ron, I go out into the world and will change everything. Right. That you will know, not work either. Right? No one of us, no single one of us has the power to change the yeah. world. You know, that's exactly. just egotism. You know, we are the, certainly there's these you know, royal assholes who have great power and, you know, are currently doing lovely things to the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we don't have the power to change that. You know, <clears throat> but we can change ourselves, right? Oh, that's all we can change. That's all we've ever been able to change. So, yeah, you know, yeah. get busy, folks, is what, you know, my exactly. message was, you know. Time and it says in the introduction, this little book is my, my Ron's own statement of a positive vision of what it can mean to be a human being in a world of other beings. And that sums yeah. it all up in a way. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful phrase. I, I really think that's a very, very important one of how we can be a positive force instead of a destructive yeah. one. Yeah. It's yeah. just so yeah. easy. You know, that's yeah. part of my message around initiation and dermetics too, is everybody is like, oh, God, it's so hard. Oh, how will I ever do this? Only superhuman godlike being can do that. Bullshit. You know, it's easy. It's This is what human beings are designed to do. There is nothing in initiation to hermetics that a human being can't do. You know, in our natural state, we've just convinced ourselves that we can't do these things. We have the habit of thinking that we can't do that, so we can't do that. That's yeah. the, the, the hurdle right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so much of well, Ron, is unlearning. Unlearning, exactly, exactly. Ron, this 
This was a great 70 minutes in your economy. Thank you so much. Yeah, time flies. It's pleasure. <laughs> um, it's been a real pleasure on my end as well. And I'm sure a real pleasure for everybody listening to us. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm really glad I picked up Facebook three weeks ago and contacted you. And, yeah, me too. Um, um, thanks for that. Well, good luck for everything that you are Thank still you. doing and will be doing. And uh, say hello to Blau or Blue, mm-hmm. your feline companion. Yes. She yes. was, or he, it's a he, he I believe. Yeah, right? yes. He was very silent this time. So he I was... was Wondering, well, maybe that's the last question. Why are most of uh, magic people um, cat people? Well, because they're cats, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, see, I'm a dog. I'm a dog person too. I go for Me a too, walk. But I go for yeah. a walk uh, most days, and yeah. every dog that I see. Every dog I see and meet along the path, because people walk their dogs all the time, I'm down on my knees saying hello, you know, yeah. <laughs> like everyone. Yeah. Um, so I'm a dog, but hey, I'm a, an all animal person. I don't, I don't discriminate, you know. That's good. If a so we should never, we hello, should never do that. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And ravens, I like ravens too. They oh, speak me to too. me often. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I had in crows. I have a, a long-standing relationship with crows. Yeah, when I lived too. in Berlin, we used mm. to go out every morning and, well, every afternoon, too, when we were walking our dog, um, feeding the crows peanuts. We spent as much on peanuts every day as we did on food, practically. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, all the crows in the neighborhood would be following us right, and we'd go for a walk. Right. Oh, um, I, I, I work on, on um, cemeteries, of course, because I'm a uh-huh. funeral celebrant. And so when I go ahead of the conduct to the grave, there's uh-huh. so many crows in the Viennese um, uh, uh-huh. cemeteries and they all start speaking to, to, to us there when we walk uh-huh. there. It's so very interesting. Oh, they're yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now, but we are completely driving off now. Okay. <laughs> but that's good. <laughs> yeah. We should do that. We should do that from time okay. to time. Well, Jens, that was the interview and uh, thanks again, Ron. Thanks You're for your welcome. time for being with us. My pleasure. And, um, My pleasure. and uh, all the best to you and all what that's coming. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Heart by artist Ackerman. That was the last piece of music that we heard here today on episode 11 of the Thought Hermit Podcast season 8, where my guest was Ron Clark, and we were talking about many Bredonian and many other things as well. Thanks, Ron, for being here with us today. I really appreciate that you so spontaneously, when I wrote to you, uh, said yes. I really wasn't expecting to get that quick an answer like I did back then. But that's often the best moments that you live when you can do things so spontaneously. It was great to have him. And I hope all of you who were listening enjoyed it just as much as me and learned just as much as me also again this time on the show. So this was this week's episode of the Thoughts Hermes podcast. I guess you want to know what's coming up next. Uh, well, it's pleasure. Next week, my guest will be Thea Vershing. Thea is also from California, from the LA area. She has written extensively on the tarot, and but her all-American tarot that was published recently is a very special type of tarot where, of course, the Renaissance, American Renaissance tarot, it is properly called, uh, we're talking about that period of American Renaissance and all the occult implications. Edgar Allan Poe will play an important part in that. A very special topic, a very interesting topic with a highly intelligent and interesting woman. So, don't miss that. Come back next week. And um, uh, I hope in the meantime, you will be having a nice time. Thanks for listening here today. Thanks for coming back next week. And for now... Take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.